0: So uh, let's get into the preaching of today's word. The past four weeks, we've been talking about discipleship, and and that's one of my dear and near and dear um, topics in my heart. And first week, Pastor Dave talked about what it means to be a disciple. It means one who follows Christ, takes up his cross, right? Uh, casts off sin and walks in obedience, fixing their eyes on Jesus. And we talked about that the first week. And then the second week, we talked about what does a disciple do? A disciple makes disciples. He doesn't live his life for himself, but lives his life for Christ, but also to make disciples. And last week, I talked about the legacy that God has given to us. That when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he didn't leave behind money or houses or material possessions. All he left behind were disciples who made disciples and transformed the world. And that's the legacy God has given to us to go and make disciples. So we know the why. And if you remember, I talked briefly about some of the like, real world hows it was done. But today I want to talk more about the how. Do we disciple? How do I disciple? And then we're going to wrap it up today. So let, let me begin by asking you this first. Before we tackle the question, how do I disciple others? I think what we have to do is we have to honestly answer this question. This question is this, do I want to be a disciple of Jesus? You have to ask that question to yourself. Do I really want to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus? And the second question you have to ask is, do I want to make disciples? Do I really want to make disciples? Before you can ask, how do I do it? In essence, it's kind of nonsense to ask, how do I make disciples, or even learn about it when you don't want to be a disciple, and you don't want to make disciples. I'm still gonna preach it, but for us, like if we don't have the heart for it, it's just gonna go in through one year, it may be like, ooh, interesting stories, and it'll go out the other. So what's really important as we start to engage and and as I start to preach about how do I make disciples, that you should really just all throughout this message, this, this time, do I want to be a disciple of Christ? Do I really want to follow Christ? And do I want to make disciples? Because this is what I believe. If you check your heart and you say, I do. I do want to be a disciple of Christ. And I do want to make disciples. And you're asking that question, how do I make disciples? Then I believe you're already 90% of the way there. Because that desire to be a disciple, to make disciples, and how? It's because Christ is in you. He's already working in you. So I believe you're already 90% there. You just need a little bit of an encouragement, a nudge. Which I hope that today, that's what the Holy Spirit will do in each of us. So I pray that as I'm sharing, it's going to be a pretty strong message, even for myself. It was very challenging. But I hope that our hearts will be like, God, let my heart be open to you and to your word. And please speak to me. So let's, let's begin by thinking this way. Imagine you came up to the greatest discipler in the world, which is, who is? Jesus Christ, right? So we came up to Jesus and we said, Jesus, how do I disciple? How do I make disciples? What do you think his answer would be? You don't have to say it out loud, but just think about it. We come up to Jesus. Jesus, how do I make disciples? How would he answer you? Well, thankfully, we have his exact words in scripture that tells us. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. Okay? Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. I always encourage you to bring your physical Bibles, uh, pens, or, or something, so you can write down it. Because God will download and speak things to you. And if you don't write it down, you'll probably forget. So I want to encourage you to always be this disciple learning. Matthew four eighteen. This is talking about Jesus. While walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. God's word to us today. Jesus, how do I make disciples? Follow me. I know, but how do I make disciples? Follow me. Discipleship begins not by a doing, but by a being. Before we can engage and start thinking about how to disciple, we have to ask and check our hearts. Am I being with Jesus? Am I walking with him? Am I talking with him? Am I knowing him? Am I following him? Discipleship begins, sustained, and bears fruit, lasting fruit in our being continually with Jesus. Walking with him, listening to him knowing his heart, knowing his ways. And Jesus says this, follow me, and my promise is I will make you fishers of men. That's the one condition. That is the absolutely necessary foundation upon which we can disciple others. We have to be followers of Christ first and foremost. So here is Jesus. He says, follow me. In the Greek, it is the word doute is not where we get the word "duty it's dute" in Greek, All right? and it's in the imperative. And the imperative means it's actually a command. So as Jesus sees Peter and John, he says, "Follow me, it's actually, "Come hither. Come now. It's a command. Now, follow me they may not understand what this fully entails, because I don't think they really do. I don't think any of us really do understand what it entails. But I know that they know what it doesn't mean. When Jesus says, follow me, I know that the disciples are not thinking, oh, Jesus means follow me on a nice stroll along the seashore of Galilee, and let's watch, sit and watch the sunset, and let's just you know, shoot the breeze, talk about life. You first. They know that's not what Jesus means. They know that Jesus doesn't mean when he says, follow me. Hey, follow me on Sundays for one and a half hours, but the rest of the week do whatever you want. They know that's not what Jesus means. They see that this request or this command invitation from Jesus is urgent, is important, it is imperative, so much so that what do they do? They leave their nets their career, you read on, it says that uh, James and John leave their father and they follow. And what it is, is not some like nice guy, hippie dude, hey oh, dude, follow me, it's not that. It's actually the king who has come to establish his kingdom of righteousness, of salvation, and he is calling his followers to respond, follow me, I'm going to give my life to build this kingdom. I'm going to give my life to save the lost, and I want you to follow me, to love me, to trust me, but also to give your life to reach the lost and to make disciples. This is the imperative. This is the command. And here's the thing, the disciples, because I believe the invitation was to many people, the disciples, you and I, we can either say yes or no. We have a choice. Yes or no. And the decision should not be taken lightly. Please hear me. Don't take your decision or this command invitation. Do not take it lightly. Remember the urgency that they felt that they had to leave their nets, everything that was occupying them, and leave to follow Jesus. And you know what? The reason why we should take it seriously is because think about it. If Jesus is just another human being, if he's just a good teacher... Uh, another rabbi but just like you and me would wrought with sin and brokenness should you give up everything to follow him of course not in fact if he's that kind of person you should really kind of discard him but as you take careful attention to this and think deeply about this command invitation if jesus is who he says he is he is the messiah if he is the king of kings the lord of lords the author of life the Savior of the world, if He is who He says He is, then Him coming to us and commanding us to follow Him is the highest honor we can ever receive, but it's also a great terror because the God of the universe has come to us and commands us to follow Him. What do you do with this follow? What do you do with this command from Jesus? How do you respond? Peter and Andrew and later on the other disciples they respond, and immediately they leave everything to follow. That leaving everything is an is a example to us that if there is anything that occupies us or anything that distracts us from following Jesus, we are called to let it go. So it would, keep, it would not keep us from following and fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, I know that some of you, as you're hearing this, you, maybe some of the thoughts that come to you are like, oh man, if I follow Jesus, he will say to me, drop my nets, drop everything, and go to a third world country, and just live there. You know, the truth of the matter is, he might. He very well might. That may be God's perfect will for you. But at the exact same time, he may say to you this, don't leave to another country. But instead, I want you to drop your net of playing safe, of playing compromise in your workplace, hiding your faith there. Not letting anyone know that you're a follower of Christ. I want you to drop that safety net in your workplace. Among your friends, you're just trying to assimilate. You're just trying to be like them so that you'll be accepted by your friends or your family. Because you want them to like you. In other words, he's not sending you to another country, but his perfect will for you is for you to follow him into your own backyard, your workplace, your family, which to me, I find quite scary. But here's the thing, unless you follow him, you will never know his perfect will for you. Unless you follow him, you will never know his perfect will for you. It'll just be your mortal plans. It's clear that as we read Scripture that Jesus wants us to consider this carefully. Consider it carefully. Take serious thought to this. Because on separate occasions, there were five at least written where people came up to Jesus and said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus doesn't send them away. He gives them a challenge. Oh, will you really? Because this is what happens. Jesus knows what's in their hearts, what's in our hearts. And he knows if they're really trying to follow Jesus the Lord, or if they're trying to follow Jesus a guy who will give me everything that I want and everything that I plan. And Jesus knowing this, if you follow that kind of Jesus, when you don't get what you want, you're going to leave him. And Jesus, that kind of fake Jesus, is not worthy of worship and he cannot save you. But if you're going to follow the real Jesus, then you have to follow on His terms as the Lord and Savior. What do you do with that command? Is He worthy of following? Please, brothers and sisters, take careful thought to this. This is what Jesus asks of us. Jesus comes to us today and He commands us, follow me, will you do it? Now here's the thing, if you do, then his promise is so full and so great. His promise is this, I will make you fishers of men. It's a guarantee. When Jesus makes a promise, he never fails. I guarantee I will make you fishers of men. I will make disciples through you who follow me. Therefore, if any of us begin to start making disciples, none of us should boast like, oh man, look how many disciples I've made. Look at this, call me Big Papa. No, None of us should have that kind of attitude. But rather in humility and with confidence, Christ is making disciples through me. So now we can kind of shift. Hopefully you have this thought in your mind now. Like, okay, my first priority before discipleship is, am I following Jesus? Am I really a follower? Because if I am, then he says he will make disciples through me. So the real question is not this, how do I make disciples? That's not the right question, is it? The right question is, how is Jesus making disciples through you? That's the right question to be asking each other. How is Jesus making disciples through you? Then you could be like, hmm, I really wonder, am I following Jesus? Because it's Jesus that says he will make disciples to you. So let me just give you this real-world illustration of how this plays out. Um, I want to invite Bob. Bob, would you mind coming up, please? Let's welcome Bob here. of why following Jesus translates into making disciples. So please stand on this side, Bob. So imagine, Bob, you are Bob, and just, just for this illustration, I'm Jesus. Okay, I know I'm not, but just for the illustration. Please don't, like, try to edit it. Because goes, he said he was Jesus. I'm not. Just illustration. So I come to Bob, and I say, Bob, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Absolutely. Great. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to go to this village because there are people who are longing. So you got that, Bob? OK, and so then after that village, we'll go to the next one, because over there there's going to be people who really want to hear. You got that, Bob?" So, thank you, Bob. <laughs> yeah. So oftentimes isn't this what uh, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. Hold on. Oftentimes, isn't this what our so-called followership looks like? Isn't this what our discipleship looks like? You don't hear God's voice. You don't sense his presence. It's not that Jesus left you. He's invited you, but you chose not to follow. And so we look at our Christian life and we wonder why does it seem so empty, it's so fruitless? No disciples are being made through me. Well, because we're not following. But now let's switch it. Okay? Now Bob, you be Jesus and I'll just be me. Okay? And so, Come follow me. And make you fishers of men. Okay. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. I see, I see. So, as, so now what happens? As I follow Jesus, what happens? I hear his voice. I sense his warmth. I smell the aroma as the wind you know, kind of blows over his body, and I smell him. And I look upon his face as he's reaching down to the leper and saying, I'm willing. And I look at, I look at Jesus' face, and I go, he's not cringing touching a dirty leper, unclean leper, he's filled with compassion. And so I begin to know his heart. I begin to know his ways, his words, his voice. And what happens is that when we start to really follow Jesus, Jesus reveals everything about himself to us. We come to know him, really as he is. And then as we're walking, all of a sudden Jesus says, do you see those 5,000 men and women? And I say, yes, I see them. Send them home. They've been following us all day, and they're probably hungry. And then Jesus says, you feed them. Huh? huh? What? How do, how do I feed that? Okay, here, 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 Lord. I have five loaves and two fish. And, I, and Jesus both Thank you, thank you, Bob. Get it? Discipleship, because we're walking with Him and we're knowing Him and we're becoming more like Him and we're loving Him and wanting to do as He commands, discipleship starts to flow out of us. And here's the thing that's so also so amazing. Not only do we come to know Jesus more, but we become fully known. And he hears us when we pray. Why? Because he's right next to us. We know he's right next to us. So when we pray and we talk to him, we know that he answers. How many of us in this room think, like, when I pray, does God even answer? That's the wrong question. Are you following him? Because if you are, you know that he's hearing you because you're right next to him. And this is what happens. When we start to walk with God, it's not a method that he gives to us. I mean, imagine if Jesus just came to his disciples. Okay, go and just pray, and then start a Bible study, and then do this. We would be methodizing discipleship. That's what we would be. And you know what ends up happening if you just do it just purely like that? You make disciples of a method. You don't make disciples of Jesus. And so, in real world, I'm just going to give you now just real world actuality of people who have discipled. I'm going to begin with my personal story, one of my stories. So back in this um, 1997, right one year after I got married, I, you know, um, I needed to provide for the family, and I was doing full-time ministry, but I wasn't getting paid; it was just volunteer. I was also a student, so I got a job, thankfully, as a special ed teacher for the uh, Los Angeles County Office of Education for special needs kids. I had no idea what I was doing. I just took the test. I passed, and they put me in this classroom of like, you know, kids who are like 8 to 12 years old. And these special ed kids are their behavioral problems. That's why they got kicked out of regular school, and they're coming here. So I'm like, Lord, I have no idea what I'm to do. I have no idea how to teach. What's the curriculum? And they just pretty much put me in there the first day. And as I'm praying, God says in my heart, get there 30 minutes early, and I want you to start praying for the children who I I have not met. So I, okay, God, I get there 30 minutes early, and I just start praying for each chair. God bless them. Well, let them know your goodness. Let them know your love. Let them feel your presence. And I start praying for my two TAs that are, are not there yet, right? So the TAs come in 15 minutes before class, and they see me there, and I go, Hi, um, you know, I'm Doug Park. And he goes, Oh, Mr. Doug, nice to meet you. Start talking to them and just whatever, just get to know them. First day of class, they come in. The kids sit down. And before we even start to go into class or into teaching, one of the 8-year-old bo- uh, boys, his name is Austin, stands up and he books out of the room. So I'm like, what? Okay. So I, start, I run after him, and he's running into the parking lot. So I, you know, I, I get in front of him, and I kind of you know, corner him. And I'm like, calm down, calm down. And he goes, pop, and he pops in my eye. And I was like, you know, the Korean man in me started coming up like, you know me. But I was like, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you, right? So I'm just like, and then at the exact moment, the principal's walking by. And the principal goes, uh-uh, no, sir, no, you don't. And she grabbed the boy and took, her to, took him to his office. So I go back into the classroom. I'm just like, I don't know, what is going on here? And then, you know, just the kids are sitting down. We start to hand out the assignments and start doing teaching. And then the principal comes a few minutes later and says, Mr. Park, can I talk to you? I said, oh, sure. So I go outside. She goes, I told Austin that I'm going to call the police, but Mr. Doug said not to. He wants you back in the classroom. And I was like, no, I don't. Send him to the police. No, I didn't, say that. I didn't say that. I said, of course. Of course. Bring him back. So he came back, and I'm thinking, like, oh, what am I supposed to do? Just sit him back down and act like everything's normal? So I just felt like, no. Talk to him. So then I asked the teachers, the TAs, hey, can you guys just take over? I want to talk with Austin. He's like, sure. So I take Austin in the back, and I sit him back there, and I say, Austin, um, I just want to let you know I'm not upset at you, but if you need to go out for a walk or you need to take a break... Just let me know, and I or one of the tears will go outside with you, okay? And then he looks at me, and he goes, I'm so sorry, Mr. Doug. And then he just starts to cry, and he hugs me. And as I get to know Austin, I realize that he's been through the foster system, even at the age of eight, several times, and he's currently living with his grandmother. Of course he's going to have issues. But throughout that term, from that moment on, and there was always ups and downs, but just God's presence and God's love in that room, he became one of my number one students. And he was able to place out of the special ed, as did many of the other students. But here's the thing. Here's the kicker. My teaching assistants, the, the two of them that were there, I would just ask them, like, hey, how was your week? And how was yesterday? How was your weekend? And in the beginning, they would not ask me back. It's like, I don't care what you do. I'm like, okay, fine. I just keep asking. just keep trying to love them. And then finally, they ask me, like, what about you, Mr. Mr. Doug? What do you do during the weekend? I go, oh, I go to church. And God's so good. And I just share. Like, oh, a time to kind of talk about God. Because you're in a school, you're not allowed to talk about God. But to adults, you can, right? If they ask you. And I started talking to them, and I said, can I pray for anything? And they was like, yeah. Talk about their broken marriage, talk about their children that are messed up. And they began to open their hearts to me. And this is what I realized. God, when he called me there, he was already there. He was already working on their hearts. He just needed one of his followers to unlock the door in that sense. Now, I didn't do like classical discipleship with them. I didn't start taking them through the Bible and things like that. We spent a lot of time talking and walking, but I don't know even if they became Christian. But they started going to church faithfully, local church, and hopefully they did. You see, if you follow Jesus, He will make you disciples of Christ. He will make you make disciples of Christ. He will make you fishers of men. I'll give you one more because my, you know, I actually maybe I'll give you one more. Because I believe this, that when it comes to discipleship in the church, at least on the organic level, it's, it is sacred. It is a holy endeavor. Please hear me out. But also, I think it's a lot easier in the church. I'll give you an example. I go up to uh, Elder Stan and go, Hey, Elder Stan, um, you want to study the Bible with me? And, you know, and just be accountable to each other? Like, just three months, and let's really apply god's word and then we could pray for each other and then we'll meet like once a week for like an hour and a half and just share like the things that we've been reading in scripture and uh keeping each other accountable how we how we're growing and he goes sure bet bet all right good that's how easy it could be in the church and then after three month mark we're like hey it's only three months you want to stop or you want to keep going like let's keep going okay how about this then let's invite I'll invite another guy, you invite another guy, and we'll have four of us, and we'll do the same thing, but this time, let's go to the book of Mark. Okay, bet, bet, bet. They come in, and we're growing at three-month mark, and we go, hey, we want to stop this, or we want to keep going? Oh, it's great, but let's do this then. How about you and me, we break off, and we'll get a third guy, and you guys break off, and you get a third guy, because our group's getting too big. Bet, bet, bet. That's how easy it is. Now, I'm not saying it's um, simple, or it, there's nothing Challenging will happen in that discipleship. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be struggles, lust, pride, greed, fear. All these things are going to come out. But you're together and you're drawing each other closer to Christ. Amen? That's discipleship. That's the heart of it. But then what do you do when it's outside the church? And here's the thing, I believe that the elders and the pastor, Pastor Dave and the elders, they are really for you guys discipling one another together in that discipleship relationship. In fact, you guys know that starting October, the elders, all of them, and the pastors are going to start discipleship training groups because we believe in this. But what about like in our workplace as I talked about and the rest of the world? How do we make disciples in the rest of the nations like Jesus commanded us last week? I'll give you a real life true story. So back in 2000, I think it was 12, when I was in Korea, we went on a mission trip to Thailand. First time to this orphanage called Child Life up in Chiang Rai, or Maesai area. And it was like, like, like rice paddies, like nothing, no electricity, no running water. It was like that. So we got there, and there's a, the, the guy who was in charge. His name is Father Abraham. He's a Thai native, and he speaks very little English. But he welcomed us in. And after the first day of introductions, he's like, oh, this team is from Korea. We love Korea. And the kids are like like ripped shirts, dirt all over them, no shoes, gaunt. And they're just looking at us. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to disciple these kids? What do we do? And after he introduced us, he literally took off for the, uh, for the whole week. I, I didn't know. I was like, where is this guy? Because he was getting ready for this, like, uh, like a... Uh, A festival, an event for fundraising for the orphanage. So he was so busy making all these connections and preparations. So it was literally our team from Korea. None of us spoke Thai, and these kids, orphan kids, and some staff. But the staffers were like 15-year-old who were also orphans, but they're actually 15, 16 years old, and they spoke a little bit of English from the camp, uh, from the schools they go to. So we're like, what are we gonna do? So first day, we do like, you know, we realize our 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 language is this. <laughs> that, that was it. And the kids are like, oh. Right? So we're, we're just like, what, what are we doing? What, what, how are we going to disciple this nation, right? This people. And so the second night, one of our team members, her name is Tanya, she comes up and she goes, Pastor, God's been praying. And I just feel like, can we tonight, can we just have the kids sit down? And then I'm going to play this song. And as, we, as the song plays, can we just pray for the kids? And, then, and I asked her, I said, is this song in Thai? And she's like, no, it's in English. Can we, maybe we can play that song as I share this story. So I'm like, what, what's the point of playing this song if they don't understand it? What difference is that going to make, right? But I just go, okay, let's just try it. So we, we tell the 15-year-old you know, girl, can you have them sit down? So she's like, let me sit down. And then I said, we're just going to pray. And she's like, just kids. I have no idea if they know who Jesus is. I have no idea if they knew who God is. We're just gonna pray. So then they sit down, they close their eyes, and then the team comes around, and we just come behind them. And we just start praying for them, and as we do, the Holy Spirit just falls. Bam! Nobody's, everybody's weeping. The team were weeping. We just feel God's compassion and love for these orphans, and the kids start saying "Prai Yesu, Prai Yesu," which means Jesus. They're out, God. They're weeping, and they're, you can hear their pain, but you could hear, hear the love that God asked for them. And it hit all of us like, oh my gosh. We have language barrier. We have culture barrier. We have you know, economic barrier. We have all these barriers, but God was already there working on their hearts. And he just wanted some of his followers to come to love them and show them the love of Christ. And he's making them disciples. And from that moment on, we could turn the music off. I, I, I'm sorry. I was like telling myself, don't you cry. Don't you cry. And it was just so eye-opening because I was like, how can I make disciples of nations? I can't speak to God is already doing it. He's already working. He just wants to reveal to you how glorious he is. He wants you to see as you follow him. Look at these wonderful, joyful things I have to show you. But here we are. God says, oh, I have so many things I want to show you. That point on that, we, we became like a family. That it was like, even though we had no language, it, was, it didn't make a difference. We were, they were like our kids. We were like their older brothers or sisters, even father and mother in that sense. Thankfully, that uh, Father Abraham, you know, he, just, he witnessed this, he saw this, and he invited a local young pastor to come, and that young pastor would come on a weekly basis and just do Bible study with the kids. And praise God, we would go back there every summer, every winter. That was like our, our family orphanage. We would go there as a church. And hallelujah, these kids, after they graduated high school, they went off to Bible colleges, many of them. And you know what they did? They would come back to the orphanage and they would teach and they would disciple the younger kids and other poor villages. And I was like, Jesus, not only do you invite us to follow you, but you make us disciples, but you make us fishers of men who become fishers of men. And when you look back at the end of your life, I hope this is what you will see. You will see a legacy of people who have become disciples of Christ because Christ made them through you. That when you go to the Father, you'll look back and you say, Father, you blessed me with all these people that I've been able to disciple in your grace and your mercy. I pray that that would be the legacy of discipleship that you leave behind as a follower of Christ. Now, I know some of you are like, well, you still haven't told me how to do it. I I could give you a method, pray, get together with some people and just start reading the Bible and then living it out, memorize scripture, pray for each other, keep each other accountable, confess sins. I could tell you this, and these are all good. But if you don't have that followership, that walking with Christ, you can actually become a disciple of a program and not a disciple of Christ who makes disciples of Christ. And I believe that today, that is the exact same command and invitation Christ gives to you and I. Follow me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of man. I will not be surprised if you obey and you start being such a point person on your campus, such a point person at your workplace. You may not be the boss, you may not be the CEO, but you are pivotal because people come to you in their brokenness, in their lostness, in their seeking for truth because they see Christ in you. You'll be pivotal in your family. I pray that for us as a church, that we will be followers of Christ and Christ makes disciples through us. Let's pray together.